All right, welcome back to another episode of First Generation Bowhunter. This is, uh, man, it's been a fun year. It's been really, really enjoyable bringing these episodes and meeting new people, and uh, it's been awesome. And right now, it's hunting season, so hopefully you're listening to this as you're driving out to a hunt and getting a little inspiration, getting stoked. I know I listen to, like, Johnny Cash when I drive out. Um, Skylar here is with me. Skylar, what do you listen to on the way out? I listen to podcasts, man. Like, is it like a last minute? Like, what can I? What information can I learn? Yeah, I <laughs> like I'll usually, I'll sometimes I'll find one on the topic, whatever I'm doing, just to get amped up, or, or I'll just listen to country music of any variety is my yeah. jam. That, that's what's turned me on to country music is actually hunting. Started oh, really? with hunting, <laughs> then I went to country music. It's fit in with the culture, man. Yeah, my wife likes me more. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was anti-country music forever. But uh, well, with me on this episode, uh, Skylar Harrison. He is from Hunt the West podcast. So another podcast to listen to on your way out. And I'll tell you what, one episode you got to listen to is his success story of this season. And that'll get you amped up. Holy smokes. So cool. I got amped listening back to it. I was like, that was awesome. Getting to relive that experience is fun. Is it weird listening to yourself on, on an episode? Like, do you listen to all your episodes? I mean, when I'm editing them, I, I listen to them. Um, I don't know if I listen back to every single episode, but yeah, when I'm editing them, I, I almost listen to the whole thing again. So yeah, it was funny, like listening to mine and you, you start to critique yourself and then you're just like, ah. Friggin' hunting. Yeah. <laughs> just like figure it out. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skylar here is local right next to me. And it's funny because the day you went, the day before you went hunting for opener, we were shooting targets. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like all worried about my, my 50 pin. Like I was shooting good at 60, but I couldn't shoot at 50. And I was like, what's going on? That was odd. My broadheads were shooting a little bit low. I was a little bit worried, but... I don't know. I got it dialed in, and I felt pretty comfortable going out for season. So I practiced some more at home after got some things adjusted, and I felt good going out. Yeah, we, uh, me and Skyler are here in Utah, northern Utah, north of Salt Lake, and so funny we got connected on Instagram, and I think just probably through like mutual friends, mm -hmm. right? Probably, yeah. Colin Cottrell, or like a podcast, something or other. Like I don't know. I think I had heard somebody say something about you or say that they were on your podcast or something. And I looked it up and I was like, dude, that's awesome. And, and we're what a mile, like less than a mile. dude. It <laughs> took me three minutes to drive here. It'd probably take me 10 minutes to run. That's so funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I couldn't believe when you're like, are you, are you in this area? And I was like, dude, I'm right there. I'm like, you're like, I was going to, well, let's go shoot bows right here. I'm like, dude, that's like a mile from my house. Let's oh go. My gosh. <laughs> that spot we have is sick, dude. So Skylar and I, we have an ultra secret spot. It is, it's so secret that I, I don't know. It's just really secret. Um, I'm not even going to drop an Onyx pin. That's how secret it is. It's in Utah. We'll give you that. Yep. We shoot in an easterly, northeasterly <laughs> direction. We'll give you that. <laughs> but we call it the trench because, dude, it's perfect. There's like a berm that's dropped down behind kind of this road there's reeds on one side nobody can see you from any direction it's totally private and it, it's just perfect 
man, I just, it was so funny because we kind of found it out of desperation. I was like, here, here's where I normally shoot. And I was like, this ain't going to work today. And we met at like 7 a.m. And uh, for some reason, there's a cop sitting 100 <laughs> yards away from the spot. And we're like, well, <laughs> what we're doing is probably not technically legal. <laughs> I'm yeah. always worried about that, dude. Like shooting in city limits. Mm-hmm. I'm like 99% sure it's illegal. But even in my own backyard, I'm like, oh, geez, someone's probably going to. Yeah. Ring the bell on me. Yeah. But also, everybody does it, dude. Like, everybody I know shoots their bow in their backyard. And around here, I think people are pretty, they've seen it before. Like, I know a guy that shoots from the street into his garage, like, in broad daylight, gets out of the way for cars, and, like, nobody cares. I've done that before. I tried that a few weeks ago at night. Oh, really? It was pitch black, (laughs) and I lit up my big, crazy LED garage lights. I could see my target perfect. Yeah. It was a little weird. Yeah, it feels weird, but I mean it's it's totally safe. That's what that's the beauty of archery, man. Like switching over from rifle to archery has been awesome because you get to just do it more more often. Like I can shoot in my basement 17 yards mm-hmm. and I get tons of practice and going shooting with a rifle or something, it's it's kind of a thing. You gotta go out somewhere, you gotta plan, you gotta wear ear pro. I love shooting guns, but it's just not the same as shooting a bow. Oh, it's it's a total deal. Yeah, like join our club, join our shooting club. It's like me and Skylar have a shooting club. It's called the Trench. Yep, the Trench, <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like Fight Club, except we kind of talk about it because it's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I was just shooting like five minutes ago before you came here. I was like out there, just in my little backyard, and man, that broadhead I'm using, the Striker X, the four. First shot right in the center. Like, So do you take minutes. another shot or you just leave it? Well, or you I, get a perfect shot. I'm itchy because I'm like, okay, well, what are the other ones going to do? But I was shooting field points and uh, on the second and third, and they're like an inch or two above the, the, the broadhead, which is cool. Yeah, I'm that's like, awesome. Dude, it's dialed, but it's good at 60 and it's good at 20. So, man, I'm itchy for elk, though. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Dude, me too, especially after getting a deer down. It's like, you know, you, you butcher up a deer, and then you're like, this is not very much meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I need an elk to, to fill the freezer, but my passion is, is mule deer for sure. Like, the just the hunt is in the country they live in. That's I'm definitely a mule deer guy. It's wild up there how what they live in. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's pretty intense. All right, so before we dive into your story, tell me a little bit about your background of how you got into bow hunting and even hunting in general. Who is Skylar? Yeah, so uh, I am a first-generation bow hunter. Nobody in my family is a bow hunter. Nobody has ever picked up a bow except for maybe Boy Scouts. And we weren't really a hunting family either. So my dad, I remember him bringing home a deer from the rifle season it was not a big deal for him. It was kind of a thing he did with his brothers. And he didn't even do it every year. So if, if somebody drew a tag and he could get work off or whatever, he would go. Mm-hmm. It was just he was not super serious about it. And my first hunt, I think I was maybe 14. And I just went along for the ride and just 
I saw my brother and two of my cousins tag out on opening day. We'd go up to the exact same spot my, that my dad hunted as a kid and they had been shooting giant bucks mm. up there since like the sixties. But now anymore, they're just like little two points running around, maybe a three. We, I'd never saw four point, like mm. never out there, but we also didn't spend very much time doing it either. It was like, we'll go up Friday night camp, hunt the opener on Saturday morning. And then maybe we'll leave before sunset. Cause you know, it's getting dark and we got to be at church on Sunday. That's like, that was how we operated. And it was just a good time. Like I loved doing it. I loved being out there. And, um, but yeah, like I wasn't super into it. I remember one year I had my very first tag. I was, I think I was 16. Um, nobody got one and in the morning. We were like leaving around 4 PM. If I remember right, I had to get back to a school dance. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I got to dance tonight, you know? And so I wanted to go to that more than I wanted to fill my tag. And then we're driving out. There's a group of does. And then we stop. We're like all in our trucks and somebody gets on the radio and is like, there's a spike with them. Does anybody want it? And I was like, I want it. And I'm like in the back seat, you know, like youngest of the cousins. I'm like in the back <laughs> and they're like, okay, I hop out and they're like, you, you have to be off the road. Like you can't be standing on the road. Meanwhile, this spike is just staring at me, basically has milk on his lips, Jeez. just staring at me at 30 yards. I would step off the road. So now it's 25 yards, still standing there. I shoot him. He goes down immediately and I got my first buck and that was my first buck. So wow. We gutted him, threw him in the, in the back of the truck hole, no pack out no effort whatsoever, but it was a good time. And that kind of got me started. And I wouldn't even say after that, that I was even, I wasn't into it because like I said, no effort. I don't even know if we ate the meat. We donated it. I believe mm. there was a guy in our neighborhood that wanted it. We donated it. I mean, there was nothing with the antlers either. And I just kind of like threw the antlers in the, on the carport and let them rot because it was just a little spike. So anyway, that's, that was, that's kind of my background. And then I didn't start getting back into hunting until probably I was like 23. And then, um, I went on another rifle hunt. My brother and I, my brother had been hunting for a couple of years and I just wasn't into it. And then he, uh, got another tag in a different unit. So we, I was kind of sick of going to that area. It was just like little two points, like nothing super exciting. Mm. We'd go to the same spot, seeing the same people, tons of people. You know how the rifle opener is, just lots of people. It just wasn't that exciting to me. But then my brother got this tag, and we went to a completely, do, a completely new unit, and we had to actually scout, and we had to get on maps and look and see and, and guess. And anyway, we went up a couple days before season opener, so we went up on, like, a Thursday. And for us, that was, like, a big deal. We're like, we're scouting, Whoa. you know. Like we're going up before we're putting in our due diligence without ever setting foot in the area. You know, it was like a four hour drive away. So we go up and hunt this, this, this new unit. And of course, like there's deer everywhere. There's way fewer people. We start hiking. We get out like probably way farther than we should. I'm not even sure how far it was, but it was like some pretty gnarly terrain, probably about two miles away. A deer pops out my brother shoots it we're high-fiving and then we look at each other and we're like now what because we had camelbacks and oh and just like a water bladder you're like we're used to being close to the road bunch of guys you 
throw that thing on your shoulders and walk downhill to the truck. And now we're two miles away over rough terrain with no plan. And also we had forgotten our skinning knives too. And it's like getting dark. We're like, crap, what are we Whoa. doing? So anyway, that, this story is getting a little long. But anyway, it turned into a big adventure. My brother had his pocket knife on him, just like his everyday carry. We gutted that thing with a pocket knife. We tried dragging it, didn't get very far. <laughs> we tried hog tying it to a stick, like you see in the cartoons, and yeah. carrying the stick over our shoulders. That failed miserably. Oh. Um, it was a big bodied deer, like really, really heavy deer, just massive neck on this thing. The antlers weren't much to write home about, but it was a big bodied deer, Jeez. biggest I'd ever seen. And anyway, we ended up flagging down some guys with horses. They came over, saved our butts, <laughs> got us out of there. But after that hunt, dude, I was hooked because yeah. it was an adventure and it was, and it was, there was effort involved. And then we got all the meat back. My brother and I split the meat and we got a ton of meat off that deer. Like I can't remember how much we got, but we got a ton of meat off of that deer. And then we got to eat the deer and there was an adventure. And so those two things are what hooked me into hunting was wow. the meat and the adventure. And so then from then on, I just started looking for adventure wherever I could. Do you like hunting in the evening? What do you prefer, morning or evening? I do both. I mean, I've I've had success with both. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if it's a preference thing or just what's working kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, that desperation of like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're missing all our – our fancy gear. But I found is like, that's like you said, that's where those stories are made. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like what you cement in. Cause I can remember all the pack outs in the evening and you're just like, dude, I'm out of sunlight, uh, you know, and I've got two hours of work ahead of me mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. No, that, that's definitely the thing for me is like the struggle afterward. So I, I think that's what makes a hunt valuable is when there's work behind it and those pack outs, man. Like, cause we never did that before. Like we didn't, we didn't pack anything out. It was just kind of like, yeah, it was hard. Like throwing that deer over your shoulders and carrying it, but it was all downhill. Like it wasn't that far. Right. Um, yeah. And especially my deer, the deer that I got, I mean, that wasn't even like, it was a five second pack out because we just threw it in the back <laughs> of the truck. Like, so yeah, and that adrenaline is still kicking in, too. I mean, even when you're like, okay, we're ready to carry it out. I swear, I timed an adrenaline rush I had after shooting a deer. I think it was 10 hours. <laughs> I just could not yeah. stop. Like, I couldn't calm down. Yeah. Like, I think I went to the gym when I got home. I was like, oh, I, like, I feel like I just drank a whole thing of pre-workout. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like some Mountain Ops Yeti with Ignite yeah. with another scoop of Yeti. The scoop of caffeine. <laughs> nuts man yeah oh, that's cool so was that a bow hunt no so that was a rifle hunt. that was rifle yeah so that's when i was started looking for for more adventure so then i got that's when i got immersed in like the culture like i started listening to podcasts reading articles joining facebook groups following people on instagram and then i kind of discovered bow hunting i'm like oh man if, if people want to if you want action if you want adventure if you want to challenge bow hunting's where it's at and so I can't remember when did I buy my bow? It wasn't that long ago. I think my first archery season was 2019. Mm. So I, and I think I bought a bow the year before 
yeah, so I think I bought a bow in like the end of 2018. And then, yeah, I got my first archery tag in 2019, which was a complete disaster. Um, <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, at least by that point, I kind of knew that you have to play the wind. Yeah. And because when you're rifle hunting, like, you just don't pay attention to wind. Like, I, I knew that wind was a thing, but archery hunting, it's everything. So I knew you had to play the wind. I kind of knew basic mule deer behavior, which mm-hmm. was important. But yeah, um, it was it was a learning curve, and then yeah, I killed my first archery. I had my first archery kill this year, twenty twenty two. So, I had three unsuccessful years, and then opening day of the fourth year, I had success, which was just like a week or two ago. Which was yeah, like a week ago. Oh, so that was your first animal on a bow. yeah, dude. First animal, first buck. Yeah, first. Whoa. Yeah. So okay, I'd, I'd killed like quite a few deer with with a with a rifle. Like I started. I went to Wyoming and got a doe because you can get doe tags pretty cheap up there and just for meat, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's fun too. Like I, and I have a rifle and it's just like, it's more adventure, you know, new areas is another way that brings adventure for me. So yeah, but this year, yeah. Year four, day one of year four. It's my first archery kill. That's wild though. Right. How you're, I mean, is that, what was that like going through, like, man, three seasons? I mean, how was it getting to that fourth season? Were you, like, amped up? I've got this. Or, like, what discouragement yeah. have you experienced throughout all those years? Where do years? I start, man? <laughs> yeah, so my that first year, I had a deer tag. I shot over the back of a deer. I, I had an opportunity i woke up from a nap dude and there was 120 yards for me and i was like scrambling getting my knock my arrow on and then by that time it ran off i had multiple opportunities that year the next year i didn't draw a deer tag but i went um elk hunting did i go that year i don't know i get confused (laughs) uh but yeah a couple years of of elk hunting where i had some really close encounters just never able to, to seal the deal. I've never, I never actually sent an arrow at an elk. And then last year I got, I was feeling really confident last year because I'd been practicing a lot more with my bow. Mm. I knew the area that I was hunting. Like I went up and scouted with my buddy beforehand. So like I we knew where the deer were. We knew where they were bedded down. We had our glassing points managed and it was closer to home too and so i could be more in the area more often so last year i was feeling really confident we found a a really nice buck we call him ironside because he had he's a big three by four but his right side was a four and his main beam kind of kicked out wide Mm -hmm. and then he had double eye guard on his right side and so we called that his strong side or his iron side because it kind of looks like iron sights on a gun like two two and one uh, my buddy Ross came up with that name. But anyway, he spotted this deer during scouting season. We went up, couldn't find him the first week. The second week, I found him when I was solo hunting. And I, like, texted Ross. I'm like, hey, do you mind if I go after this buck? Like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I found him. Anyway, I went on a couple stalks on him. I, I got to 50 yards. I ranged this rock. He was feeding. And I ranged the rock. It was 50 yards. And... It was really windy, so I knew he couldn't hear me, but it was on a steep uphill. And so I'm just waiting for him to, like, lift his head above the cliffs. He lifts up his head and just immediately pegs me. So all I can see is his head and his neck and, like, a little bit of his front leg. And then, so I leaned out a little farther, but he's right in front of the rock that I ranged. 
And so I shoot for 50, settle my pin, let that arrow fly. It feels perfect. And I just watch that arrow sail right over his back and hit the rock. Oh, geez. so I had ranged the rock and shot for the rock instead of ranging him. And so I shot over his back, but he ducked and moved out. And I just see my arrow hit the rock on the exact spot where his vitals were just a second ago. Oh, geez. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So like he moved and just my arrow just banged the rock and just exploded. He runs down the hill and would you say he jumped the string a little bit? Or he, he jumped it a little bit, okay. but the main problem, I went up there and I like saw his tracks in the dirt and I saw the rock and I should have shot for 45. Oh. So like just with the angle looking uphill and the rock, I should have just ranged his antler tips if I could, or just waited and like ranged his face. Yeah. You know, so, but you know, oh. it, hindsight's twenty twenty. but yeah, so that was a really close encounter. And then I got him another time in, in archery range, 25 yards, but I just, I just didn't have a shot. Yeah. Like there was no shot. He stood up and I was, I, I, I pulled my bow back when I heard him stand up. Cause I was like waiting for him around this corner mm-hmm. and I knew he was there, but I couldn't get any closer without like getting bad wind. And he had his back up against like, a, like a literal wall, Jeez. like in the perfect spot to, to bet like this, oh my word. this buck he's, Oh man, I, it still haunts me. But yeah, dude, he was bedded in this perfect spot. I hear him stand up. That's how close I was. Like I hear like a little rustle in the rock. So I draw my bow back and I'm waiting for him to step out. And then he steps out again, the same thing. It's like he knew I was there. Yeah. And he just like pokes his little head around oh, the corner. Oh. And I can just see like his nose, like in one of his eyes and his antler, like one antler Jeez. poking out. And then he just darts away. I tried grunting at him, dude. And he didn't, he wasn't fooled. He just booked it. So that was last season. Wow. <laughs> so I had like really close encounters last year. And then, um, and then it gets even worse. So I'll keep going. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay. So <laughs> if you think that's bad or heartbreaking, the next is worse. So I, I had no preconceived notions of like what kind of buck I was going to get because the, the, I still haven't killed anything with my bow. I'm not being picky. It just happened to be that the biggest buck on the mountain was in a stockable position. So I got onto him twice. So it's getting later in the hunt. I have like one more day to hunt. Um, and I, I get into this area where I know that there's three bucks. I actually find Ironside again. He's bedded off in the trees. I had him at 100 yards bedded, but with no way to get closer, just the way that the land laid out. You know, sometimes you just can't get closer. Yeah. But I knew that there were these two other much smaller bucks up above where they were in a stockable position, which often is the case with big bucks and little bucks is <laughs> the little bucks bed in dumb locations. So anyway, I get in this position where I know that usually they come out and feed right below this cliff. And so I get up on onto this cliff and this country is just like so, so steep. So I'm sitting on a rock. Like if you can imagine me squatted down, sitting on my heel, on my right heel, I'm a right-handed shooter. And then I have my left leg fully extended straight out below me, below the hill. And that's how steep it was. So I'm like in a little squat, my left leg, it can go completely straight because of how steep it is. And I'm like basically standing on one leg and squatting on the other. This little two point comes out right in my, right as I planned. Perfect. Exactly 22 yards or 24 yards or something like that. I pull back. I'm like, this is it. This is over. So if you can imagine me 
you know, I'm sitting on my right heel. My left leg is extended down the hill. I'm pointing my bow down the hill, like very, very steep angle. I settle the pin right on his vitals. He stops. Perfect. I mean, it's like 25 yards. You know, this should be a chip shot. I yeah. shoot 30 in my backyard all the time. Yeah. I let the, let it release. The cam hits my knee as it releases. Like my oh. cam was too close to my knee. So it released. It swung down, hit my knee. My bow dives forward and the arrow hits the dirt three feet in front of him. Oh. <laughs> so he obviously just jumps out, like jumps, runs and stops. And during that time, I'm knocking another arrow. Yeah. And I'm pointing off to toward him again. He runs off to the right a little bit. And now he's quartering away slightly. He's still steep downhill angle. And um, I guess him to be 30 yards now because he kind of went laterally to the right. And he has his front leg. The, the leg closest to me of his front leg is, is forward. So his, his vitals are exposed. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, quartering away shot. Vitals are exposed. So I settle right in there and I shoot for 30. And I watch that arrow fly right under his belly and hit his offside front leg oh. underneath his belly. And it goes through his elbow. And I see my arrow hit and it goes through his elbow and the, under that front leg. He jumps off. He's he's limping, runs down the hill. I'm knocking another arrow because yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he was farther than I thought. And so now I'm like, okay, I've made this mistake before. Yeah, Don't range a thing behind the animal. If the animal runs off, you need to range it again and range the actual animal. So this time he runs off. I range the actual animal. He's wounded at this point. So And I know immediately it's not a lethal hit. And so I range the actual a- animal. He was like 76 or something which is farther than I normally would take a shot. But sure. when you've wounded one, sure. I'm like, it's sending. Like, yeah. you know, so I dial my sight. I pull back. He takes a couple more steps. And so I let down. I pull out my rangefinder, range him again. You're like not I'm like, no around. way. Like, I'm like, I'm not guessing again. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know he's wounded. I'm, I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to just shoot for 76. I'm not going to hold it a little higher. Anyway, I, I arranged him at 72 or whatever it was. I arranged him again. He was like 80-something. And and so I dial my sight again. I'm like, I have to try because yeah. what do you do? Like, he's he's wounded. Like, the most ethical thing right now is to try and get him down now. Yeah. Um, I would, like, again, I would normally never take that shot just because I'm not good enough. There's too many variables. But when they're wounded, I've got to try. So I dial my sight to like 82 or whatever it was. I pull back, and when I pull back, he just runs off behind. Oh, jeez. So I'm, like, so defeated at this point. I'm like, oh, what man. in the world? Oh, my gosh. I get down there. I find my arrow. First one, obviously, was clean miss. Second one, you can see fat on the fletchings, like, muscle. Like, I, oh. I knew it was bad hit. And it's hard to find blood at that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's specks. specks. Like, I have pictures, just the tiniest little specks. And I followed those specs for like 200 yards. Like I saw where he went and I'm like going at a snail's pace. I'm like checking every little piece of leaf and rock and whatever. I have pictures of every little spot of blood that I found. I followed it around for like 200 yards and then eventually it just dried up. And I I went back the next morning because then it got dark. That was right before sundown. I went back before um, in the in the next morning, and I looked for the next from sun up, which was at like seven o'clock or whatever, until like eleven thirty, just 
combing back and forth, looking for a speck of blood, something, something, you know, and just never saw another sign of him. That's, yeah, that's tricky. That's, yeah. And it's hard because, like, we hear that, and it's like, yeah, that's bow hunting. Yeah. And when you're new, I feel like you hear that, and it's like, oh, it shouldn't be that way, or there's something else, and it's like, Yeah, it's no. unfair. When, like, it's bad. When you're in it, though, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's something I had to come to grips with a few times, where it's just like, oh, you know. like One of mine, the worst one I hated was a gut shot. Oof. Oh, yeah. my word. Which is, in some ways, it's like, that's like even worse because it's lethal. Yeah. And this one, at least I knew that I hadn't penetrated the main body cavity. Like, yeah. he's going to have a sore leg and, like, he'll probably live. If he does die because of something else, because he couldn't run away from a predator or something, yeah. but he's not going to die from the actual wound. But yeah, gut shots, man. <sighs> I never want another gut shot. Yeah. You find your arrow. And it is pee, pukey, yellow. Mm-hmm. And I smelt that Smells thing. like horror. Yeah. And I was just Smells like, like guts. oh, my gosh. And I texted my buddy. I'm like, uh, my arrow is yellow. He's like, oh, you got a gut shot. He's like, you're looking at 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my word. And that deer climbed the steepest grade up the mountain. And I tried to follow, and blood was gone. I mean, it was... Went back and yeah, it's tricky. You, know, you got to come to grips yeah. with it. It just yeah. helps you want to practice harder, I guess. But mm-hmm. those those shots happen. Yeah, it's man. Uh, let's go back to elk hunting real quick. How has it been getting into elk with a bow? I mean, you said you kind of got close a few times. What was that like? So, it's super fun, dude. Like I I really like elk hunting as much as I like mule deer hunting. Elk yeah. elk elk hunting pretty fun too. Um, it's it's just it's a completely different beast. Um, the terrain that they're in, at least where I hunt, really dark, thick timber, glassing. I mean, I almost leave my binos at home. Yeah, because it's just not even worth it. Um, I still take them because sometimes you can peer through the trees and kind of focus back and forth and try and find a patch of fur, which works really well. Wow. The thing about elk for me is is <laughs> I had a guy on my podcast tell tell. I, I use this all the time. He's like, the elk are where they are when they're there. <laughs> and it's so dumb, but it's like, I, I think about that all the time because you can find tons of sign. We're like, man, there were so many elk in here. It's like, but they're not here right now. Yeah. And the thing about deer is they can kind of be anywhere. They're like, you can have one isolated behind this tree. You never know if you're going to like bump up a deer. The thing about deer too is you'll be walking along and holy cow, they are like, 10 feet in front of you. Yeah, there's and like, they just boom, right there. Jump up, pop out, and you're like, oh, hi. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Yeah, no, all, all the time. Yeah. But the thing with elk is usually they're in pretty big groups or, you know, in a small group. And just the size of the animal, like, you don't just, like, kind of accidentally walk up on one. I've, I've walked up on one a, a couple times, but usually, usually, it, I feel like they're just, they're just easier to find when they're there, they're not easier to find. <laughs> like when you're in elk, you like, you're in elk and it's, it's very obvious and you have a lot of options. And for me anyway, that's been my experience. Let uh, me ask you something about elk too. Cause I was, we were scouting an area and I shared this before that I could smell them and I've smelled elk before. It's a very, it's a very unique smell. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, I say it's like a horse barn crossed with an elk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what I can describe it. Yeah. It's like everyone knows what a horse barn smells like, but then you smell elk in the wild and you're like, oh, that's an elk. Yes. It's like, it's like a variation of a horse. It's, yeah. so it's like elk plus a, elk pee plus a horse barn is, is nice. like what it is. <laughs> and I mean, I smelled this and I was like, whoa, that's a parent. That's elk. I, you know, I know the smell. If you smell it, I've read that you, they can be within a quarter mile. Do you feel like that's accurate? I mean, do you? Um, yeah. I mean, if all the wind, if the wind conditions are correct, and depending on the terrain, I'd say too, I feel like when I've smelled them in the places that I've been, I'm like, they're within a hundred yards. Oh, okay. Like they're, they're close. Like our noses aren't that great. Sure. Um, and just depending on the wind conditions, like if it's like blowing really hard and you're smelling them, like maybe they're farther out. Yeah. But if it's just like normal thermals, like the air's kind of dropping down the hill or something, I'd say they're close. Wow. Um, like you're in them. Like maybe I, I'd say like you're probably like within 300 yards. Wow. Is probably what I would say. That's awesome. And that's been my experience too. Cause I've done that where you're like walking along and then you're just like, pfft. I yeah. smell it, and your eyes go right to where the wind, <laughs> the where the wind's coming from. You're like, "There's elk up there, it's the best." And I've gone that, I've done that before, and they were right there, like they're just on the next saddle. Oh, geez, like right there. Well, so, that gives me hope because I, uh, you know, I've got some choices to make here in the next week or so, and I've got two areas I'm kind of contemplating. And you and I were working dads, husbands, mm-hmm. and it's like we don't have the next four weeks off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. You know, we're, we're, we can't just go to every hunting spot we feel like, but that gives me a little hope actually for this other spot yeah. I want to try, but, uh, no, that's cool. I, but one caveat I will add yeah. is I can, I've also smelled elk and gone up and just found a bedding area oh. that they've recently used. So if there's pee in there, there's a lot of animals in there and they're, they're pee and they're doing their thing. You could smell where they were. And I've, I've smelled that with deer too. Like you smell deer and you're like up in the you're like, oh, okay, it smells like, you know, it smells like their, their, uh, patch on their leg, you uh, know, that musky kind of just deer smell. Yeah. Or I don't know what gland it is or whatever it is, but you'll see it. Like when you gut them, like you cut the leg and you'll just see that drips, oh, like for the sure. clear drips. Yeah. You smell that. That's, I, I've smelled that too. And usually it's just a bedding area. Like there's a bed. So oh. they, they bedded there a couple hours ago or something. Not terrible, but so, yeah, yeah. Like, but I would say if, human if you're a human and you can smell it they're like pretty close wow like they've been there recently cool so um because that was a big question mark for this area i was like are they even in here and it's yeah a little bit gotta gotta figure that one out and then are you calling much with elk um so the utah archery season basically is over before the rut starts yeah um i've i've heard bugling during you know in the first half of september um and it's just not really my primary means of okay. of finding i've i i also am not really looking for like a the herd bull mm-hmm. like i'm looking for any elk usually like yeah. i'm like I, w- I just want to fill the freezer with some meat so i'm i'm using cow calls and i found that cows and calves are very curious oh. especially in that early season cool and so I'll use some of those cow calls and I'll, I'll be like stomping branches. And that's the other thing about mule deer versus elk is like elk. I'm tromping in the woods. I'm just <laughs> moving through. Like I'm, I'm being careful, like trying not to be seen. Sure. And I'm looking up ahead, but I'm like literally reaching out, grabbing branches, breaking them, 
walking through the woods, throwing out a cow call every once in a while. And I found that usually if you do that, you'll hear a branch snap somewhere and you're, or you'll hear a cow call or something. Cool. And that's been my way of finding them is just like covering tons of ground and sounding like a cow. Cool. That's been like really successful for me as, I mean, I, as, as successful as you can be without actually killing one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I've had lots of moments. I had this one moment that, that, uh, what is it? Two years ago. Yeah. 2020 I had, I didn't have a deer tag and I was just elk hunting and, um, I found the spot on the map where I had zoomed in on Onyx and I found like this hidden wallow. I was like, this is like not on the map. Like I found Whoa. like a tiny little spot. Anyway, I dropped a pin there and I decided to go there and I go in there and I start like kind of cow calling and then immediately I'm like surrounded by elk, like three herds right there. Serious. Like I can hear them over here. I'm like, okay, they're moving. And then I'll like start moving closer and then I'll hear cow calls up behind me. I'm like, wait, which group do I go out? I'm oh. like, wind checker, puff, puff, puff. Like which group am I go after? The wind will dictate, you know, uh, that, like, yeah, dude, that, that kind of stuff is fun. When That's right. When you're in them. And then you're so I'll just do the the little cow calls, and then you get in a little area. I don't know if you've heard of uh, what's his name. I think his name's uh, oh shoot, I can't remember his name, but he talks about the, I think his row R O E. Oh yeah. Um, row hunting resources. That's I think that's his YouTube channel. Oh. Um, is it Mike? I don't know. I can't remember his name. Yeah. You have to write that down and yeah, look okay. it up for me, but. Uh, he talks about the doorway principle. Have you heard of this? No. What's okay, this? So this, this is like, this is, in my experience, this has been like golden elk hunting information for me. Yeah. I, I've seen it work multiple times. Um, so he talks about like, if you're in your house and you call for your wife or something, you're gonna be like, Hey, what's your wife's name? Lisa. Lisa. So you'd be like, Hey Lisa. And she'd be like, Hey, I'm over here. And then you like have an idea where that is. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh, I think she's in that bedroom. You're going to go into the doorway of that bedroom and be like, Lisa, you in here? Oh. And then if she doesn't respond or you hear it somewhere else, then you're going to go look again. So when you're calling to elk, he says it's like the same thing. Oh. They're going to come to the doorway. They're not going to come all the way into the room. Like if, if she was in the closet, like you're not going to go all the way into the room, into the closet and be like, Lisa, are you in here? Yeah. Like you're going to go to the doorway. It's too much work. Yeah, I got like things to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's the it's the same thing. So what he talks about is getting into the doorway in the mm. woods. So if there's like a rise or a real thick area of trees, so imagine there's like a saddle, a little or like a little bench below you. Yeah. And the elk are below that bench. So if you call from up above the bench and then move up to the bench, like the crest of the bench, okay. The crest of the bench is like the doorway. So they're going to oh. hear, they're like, I want to go see what that was. They come to the crest of the bench, like the first place where they're going to be able to see the place where you called from. And that's like the doorway. Jeez. So they come up the hill, come to that little bench, and that's where they're going to stop and look to confirm with their eyes what they heard with their ears. And so, wow, like that was, that's been my main strategy is like calling, finding them, you know, by breaking branches, call, making cow sounds. And then once you find them and get into that, sweet spot you call a couple times and then quietly quietly move so you're making noise where the elk are okay and then you sneak up to the doorway and then when they crest that little saddle or that little bench Whoa. you're right there in archery range they're looking up for that's where like your caller if there's two of you 
your collar can kind of drop back yeah. and they're like drawing the attention where you go and stand in the doorway. Cool. So anyway, that's what I've done as a solo hunter with archery elk. Like, and I've gotten really, really close <laughs> multiple times wow. with that. And that whole season, dude, I had like probably three or four archery, like close encounters where if conditions were right, I could have sent an arrow, but it just didn't work out. Like this area is just so thick. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I, I would, get drawn back and just be like just there's no shot like there's too many branches or whatever and then one time like i had a perfectly clean open area but i was shaking so bad i couldn't get my release on my string so oh my gosh and then once i did it was just like the elk was just walking straight away nothing but the butt so so if i'm by myself because i i solo hunt 90 percent of the time um I've, i've thought of this too like let's say i got my bugle tube here right what if I point it the opposite direction to kind of simulate back in the closet, but I'm in the doorway? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you tried that? Is that? I mean, I don't do much with bugling, but um, yeah, like or I know cow calling, I or guess. cow calling. Like you can like cup your hands and cow call backwards. Oh, uh, I'm okay. sure it would. It helps, and it probably achieves a lot of the same goal. Um, I've just found that actually moving, because dude, elk, I swear they can just pinpoint a sound yeah i've heard this like they they just know exactly where that sound was coming from they could probably tell you the tree that it came from that's so crazy and so like i just cow call and then i'll just like sneak up like if, if you're like 30 yards away from the the doorway that you identify okay cow call sneak up to that little doorway and then wait for them to come the rest of the way that's been the best this is great because <laughs> You know, I'm still refining elk, my elk skills, and I, I had a really epic limited tag a few years ago here in Utah, like the once every six year type deal. Oh yeah, and uh, oh, you're the lucky one. And I got to go three weekends in a row, and I just could not. I just I looked back at that, and I was like, oh gosh, I was not moving enough, and I was not paying attention enough. I. Anyway, I was sitting on water too much, and I should have been a little bit more active, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like sitting water is really effective when you're near elk. So, like, in that midday lull, sure. you know they're bedded down somewhere. So, like, I in this that same day, actually, that I'm talking about where I was surrounded by three herds of elk, Yeah. like, eventually the morning kind of waned down, and I'm not getting responses anymore. So I'm like, okay, they're bedded, but I don't know exactly where. But I knew that there was, like a water hole pretty close by. Yeah. And so I went and sat that water that afternoon and just got the wind right. I'm like, I think they're over here. So I'm going to sit up here, you know, kind of get, if they did come to water, make sure that the wind would be in my favor. Yeah. And I did that. And sure enough, dude, like two, two calves came out right Jeez. into the water in the middle of the day. And dude, I, I thought about sending it on a calf because yeah. legally you can here yeah. in, in Utah with an archery tag. But I was like three miles away from the truck. Oh. And I'm like, a, a calf is like the size of a large deer. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that for a calf. Got it. Like, with a, I would, uh, it kind of sounds backwards actually, but I was like, I'm like, if it was a cow, I'd do yeah. it. Yeah. Cause you know, like, just so much more meat. But yeah, I kind of felt that's cool though. Bad about doing that. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, sitting water when you're, you're just like, you don't know if any elk are in the area. I feel like the best way is just cover tons of ground, tons of break ground. some branches, do some cow calls, and try and find them. Then you can worry about getting them on, on them. And then once, like, if you keep the wind right, if you spook them or something, 
like they probably won't go super far and then you can kind of dog the herd get the wind right cool and and get down on them that <sighs> but that is awesome. Yeah, I dude, we should go together. I mean, since we're both solo hunting elk. <laughs> I know. We should solo together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Except I only have an organic bike. So. Hey, that's all good. That's good. Yeah. I finally got my e-bike running pretty well. Did I you get it, it? The other night. Oh, that's good. It's scary because you. It, it's hard because you put these really powerful engines on these machines. And the lifeblood of a e-bike is the chain. Yeah. It's just what it is. And that chain breaks, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. So I'm always just like babying the the chain a lot and just like, oh gosh, please do not snap because uh, they they will. And if if you're dumb and you shift wrong, and all that, it's just it's crazy. So, um, all right, let's get into this first animal. Oh, yeah, dude, I dude. forgot about like okay. the reason we're here. And it. Do me a favor, go over to Instagram, punch in Skylar.Harrison, and won't be you don't have to scroll too far if you're listening to this live. I think uh, I even pinned it on yeah. the profile. You gotta see this butt. It's cool, velvet. Yeah, you dude. Know, pretty yeah. awesome. I mean, I am stoked with it. That thing might might as well be a two hundred inch deer. Like That's so cool. I have gotten so much joy just be like looking at those that tiny little rack. It's actually off of the taxidermis right now, getting beetle cleaned. Cool. I'm going to do a Euro mount on it. I use the Velvalock stuff. So you spray that on the antlers. Have you seen this? The Velvalock. Oh, uh, yeah. So you spray it on the antlers. It kind of dries out the velvet. And so you get to keep the original velvet. Oh, so most taxidermists, they'll like strip the velvet and put on fake velvet. Oh. And I've seen that, and I just I just don't think it looks very good. But I've seen the, the Velvalock Euro mounts, and they look awesome. So. Especially like... You were there when the original velvet was on. I mean, it's your deer. Yeah. You know that velvet. Yeah. I'm like, I know the velvet. And I, yeah. So preserving that is, is awesome. That is so cool. So anyway, yeah, I'm excited to get that back. It should be back like in a few weeks. Yeah. That's, that's not a super long process, right? Beetle yeah. No, plane? the Beatles is, it's cool. So there's a guy, um, his name's Colt Cross. Hmm. Uh, what's, I think his, his Instagram thing is cross country schools. Okay. And um, anyway, I haven't seen work his work in person yet, but I saw some of the stuff he had on display there, dude, and it looks awesome. And as far as I know, he's the only one that does beetle beetle euro mounts. Okay. On velvet bucks. Oh. So. Yeah, he has some kind of way where the the beetles don't touch the velvet. So. That's cool. Anyway. Yeah, well, the story, dude, is awesome. So yeah, so we, we kind of have all my background now. So you you know my whole all my all my woes of archery hunting over the years. Yeah, and now yeah, and th- the thing about this year, I have to I have to preface the story with this because I just I don't have a ton of time to hunt this year. I just switched jobs, and so I don't have any PTO built up. And I just switched like a couple months ago. And then I have a vacation planned in October. So all my future PTO is already spoken for. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any time to take off for hunting. And so I have like just the weekend. So I'm like the epitome of a, a weekend warrior this year. <laughs> like I have Saturdays, like not even Sundays. And I've like, I'm like bombed down to the, to the trailhead on Friday night after work, hike up early in the morning, hunt all day Saturday hike out in the night and be home 
on yeah. Sunday morning, you know? So that's, that's, I have like basically four or five days of hunting this year all combined. I have a deer tag and an elk tag mm-hmm. and they're not consecutive days either. So anyway, I have to preface that. So my mindset going into this hunt was I've never killed anything with my bow. Yeah. I have very limited time to hunt this year. Any legal buck in archery range is going down. Oh like, man. That, that was the plan. And I even said this on my podcast. I was like, okay, opening day, I'm going to go up and shoot a buck. And then the rest of the time I'm going to be focused on elk. Cause it just takes more time to find them. So anyway, that was my plan and the plan worked out to perfection. But the way that it went down was like, it was honestly just all the lessons over the years compounded into a single day, a mm. single morning. Wow. And just doing everything right and then also getting lucky. I think, too, when you say the the first legal buck that I find, that's what I'm going to take. That is not to be glazed over because I think, you know, we hear that. But when you're in the moments, sticking to that is a whole other story. And I've done that before, too, where I'm like, hey, first legal animal, I'm, I'm doing it. It's really important, though, that you say that and you say it out loud. Tell your hunting buddy. Yeah. More importantly. It's like, <laughs> dude, I'm not going to pass. Because then in the moment, if your buddy's standing over your shoulder, you're like, dude, you got to shoot him. You said you'd shoot him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think that's really important, too. Like, being really clear on your goals. And maybe just maybe that's just asking yourself a question. Yeah. Be like, what am I going to do? And just having that conversation with yourself, understanding what you want to do, that's can make things very clear in the moment, which is actually exactly what happened on this hunt because so I'll tell you the story. Yeah. So, so I sleep in my truck the night before, by the way, if you don't have a canvas cutter in the back of your truck, you're not living. Is that like the pop know, like, up like, tent? No. So the canvas cutter, it's a, it's a bed roll. So it's like a foam mattress with oh. a waterproof canvas um, covering that all rolls up into one. So it deploys in seconds it's extremely comfortable. It weighs like 16 pounds. It's super heavy. You're not backpacking with it. It's like a truck camping truck bed. Yeah. Cool. So I just roll it out in my truck bed so that I can just leave it deployed all the time. But when I didn't even have a truck, I had a Hyundai Tucson, dude, I was running around with that thing and I'd pull up into my hunting spot, throw out the bedroll on the ground and you're, you're camping. Dude. So it's sweet. I'll show it to you. Okay. Um, yeah. So shout out to canvas cutter. <laughs> But anyway, so I have that canvas cutter in the back of my truck. So I can just drive down to the trailhead after I put the kids to bed, make sure the wife's happy, you know, the kids are in bed. And I head down to the trailhead and then sleep in the back of my truck. And then I can be right there at the trailhead at first crack of dawn. Wow. So that, you know, you're not wasting any time traveling. You know, this is weekend warrior stuff. Okay. (laughs) Yes. This is how you do it. Love it. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's what I did. I wake up at like 345 and I start hiking in. This is like, it's like a three to four mile hike in, but it's a lot of vertical. It takes me about two hours to get into like the hunting area. And then there's like another mile or so to get up to like the glassing spot. But I know that I'm in, I can potentially be in deer within two hours of, of hiking. Cool. So anyway, I... I wake up, I'm hiking in. Um, I forgot my trekking poles. Had to turn around, go back and get them. I left them. And oh, I'm, like, I'm not doing gosh. this hunt without trekking poles. Anyway, that's beside the point. I go up there and um, I get into the, 
the spot where it's like, I can hunt now at first light, exactly as I had planned. I get up in there and I, I come around this onto this little plateau where that's like where the hunting grounds kind of start. There's like a very defined basin. Um, anyway, the way it lays out, sorry, I've got the burps, I guess. You're fine. But, um, I get up in there and there's like, I see two guys glassing on the hill and there's a tent and, um, I'm like, okay, there's, there's other hunters in here. It's pretty obvious. I get like two to 300 yards, like off the main trail. And I immediately spot a group of three, was it three bucks, three or four bucks feeding on the hillside, like another, maybe 300 yards away. So I spot them from far away and I'm, there's like two little two points, a little cagey three point, and then just a giant four point, just huge. <laughs> um, like bigger than Ironside, bigger than, I mean, I had been scouting up there before and I knew there was like at least four solid bucks up there. And that was just one day of scouting because again, weekend warrior. <laughs> so in one day I saw like these four, four big four points. So anyway, I see this big four point and I'm like, all right, stock's on. And I'm going after that big four. Jeez. And so because I had been scouting in this area, I knew like where they were feeding, there was a cliff below them. And I knew that if I could stay out of sight, get in this little, this little wash below them, then I could creep up and come from below. Cause this is early morning. So the wind's still coming, dropping down the Canyon. So my plan was to just follow this fold that I knew about. I'm like, that was the advantage of scouting. There's, there's a lesson there, but having scouted this area and, and been in there, I knew I'm like, okay, there's a travel corridor. I can get right up to here and I'm going to be within an archery range. So I do that. I, before I get to the bottom of the cliff, I drop my pack so that I'm like lighter on my feet. It had rained the night before. So the ground's soft. It's perfect. Jeez. I come around the corner. I, kn- I have an arrow knocked already because I learned that lesson a couple years ago. When <laughs> I didn't have my arrow knocked. Got my arrow knocked. I'm light on my feet. No backpack. Come around, and then I just stop. And whenever I stop, I try and make sure that my feet are set just in case anything happens. Another lesson I've learned. Mm-hmm. from ha- I shot over a buck my very first year because of shooting with bad posture. And... Um, Anyway, so another lesson there that I learned, you know, <laughs> and I stop and I'm just like trying to relocate them because they've been out of sight for a little while. I'm like looking through the trees, just trying to find them because at this point I'm like probably 90 yards from where they were feeding. So I'm like in the hot zone, nice. you know. So I come around, I'm looking through the trees. I don't see those these bucks. And then all of a sudden, right coming sh- almost straight toward me down the hill is one of the little two points. So I put the release on my string and I'm watching this two point come out. And then I immediately just like look up the hill and I'm like, but where's the big four? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, but where's the big one? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, Oh shoot. He's coming down, dude. So he's coming down. I pull out my range finder, range the actual animal because again, lessons learned. <laughs> I range the actual animal and he's at 35 yards. And I like, put my rangefinder down. I still have my rangefinder in my hand. I'm about to put it back in the in the holster for the rangefinder. And I'm I'm like for like 5 or 10 seconds I'm thinking, well what if the big 4 comes after him? Oh, it's so hard. And so but then I remembered my goal. I was like, I have to shoot the very first buck, yeah. legal buck that presents a shot. 
I'm like, and this is it. So put my range finder away. I wait. He stops. I range him again, actually. I ranged him a second time just because he had moved. Um, I range him again. He's like 34 yards. Put the thing back. And he stops with his head behind a bush, just like perfect. And he's just feeding. Jeez. So I draw back my bow. He's still feeding. Like he didn't see me draw. I pull back my bow, settle my pin. My feet are already set. He has no idea I'm there. Absolutely no idea. And I settle my pin. I shoot a three-pin slider, so 30, 40, 50. So I split my 30 and 40 pin, put it right where I wanted it, and then I'm just, like, pulling back, pulling back, and the shot breaks, and I just watch my arrow sail and just exactly where I was aiming, just pop him right in the spot and i hear that iconic pumpkin sound that like when you hit an animal it just makes like a thump yeah like you just hit a pumpkin and immediately i'm like that was a perfect shot perfect shot and i and like he takes one step out and i just see buckets of blood coming down from the entrance wound wow and i see him and i i actually whipped out my phone I, I pull up my phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just shot a buck. Oh. Like, I just shot a buck. I can't believe it. And just, in, like, as soon as I pull out my phone, he tips over on camera. Just tipped over. Oh, and that was it, dude. Awesome. He went in 57 yards from the spot that I shot him. Double lunged him. Complete pass through. My arrow stuck, like, seven or eight inches in the dirt behind him. And, dude, that was it. Opening day at 7.07 wow. a.m. I, I remember seeing that photo, and I was like, that is either really early or just that twilight. Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was wow. 7.07 a.m., dude. And I know Gosh. the time because I have, I have it on video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. And just the – I cannot explain to you the relief that I felt. So all those years of, of failing, learning lessons, yeah. failed stocks, failed arrows, wounded a deer – all of that was just all that pressure just completely relieved when I watched that buck tip over, and That's then you so hear cool. the death moan, and mm-hmm. you're like, "It's over. He's dead right there," and it was over, dude. Wow, the relief was amazing. Yeah, and then you stop thinking about antlers and size, and you're just like this euphoria. Um, when you're when you're pulling back, this is something I do, and I'm curious if other people do this. I'm looking at my pins. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, when you're pulling back, do you ever kind of re- recite those just to make sure you're a on little the bit. right pin? Yeah, no, a little bit. And, and one thing I actually was thinking about when I was falling asleep that night in my cozy canvas cutter, <laughs> I was like, dude, I think I need to move my sight tape. Cause like I had dialed it oh. before I put it away last time. I was like, okay, when I wake up, I got to make sure I dial it back down to four, to 50. Oh, yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, I got to remember that. And I didn't remember until like almost sunrise. Like when I got to that first hunting area, I was like, oh, yeah. And I like remembered. Oh, but dude, gosh. that almost destroyed my hunt. Because, dude, if I would have shot for 35, like I would have shot over his back for sure. That freaks me out about sliders. And I love sliders. I personally love shooting long distances. It's it's fun. It's challenging. You know, mostly uh, targets, by the way, not necessarily hunting. Um, I've taken long shots hunting and I've been successful actually, but man, those sliders freak me out. Yeah. You, you, if you do don't you reset to, it. Yeah. No, I, I'm like, usually I'm like, like a 
like a chronic checker. I'm always like making sure that thing's dialed all the way up to the top oh. so that I have 30, 40, 50. Actually, right now, I think it's still set at 71. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. But usually when I pick it up, like that's like one of my things that I do. I pick it up and just set it. Oh, so, my gosh. Anyway, yeah, but that could have ruined That's my That's nerve-wracking. But, but, yeah, dude, I, I, I recite it in my head. I'm like, okay, 30, 40. Like that one when I'm yeah. splitting pins, I'm like, okay, 30, 40. And I you just, have to. Like, oh, 100%. Like I, um, I'll do it, and I'll, I'll look at my the colors, and it's like green, orange, red. And I, uh, you have to do this. Like you have to have some kind of system because I'll be like orange 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 like that's what i'm after mm-hmm. and because i just have this deep fear oh yeah using the wrong pin of using you hear the wrong pin. stories of that dude yeah and i and i see why guys do a single pin I, I get it you know yeah but in western you know out here things move so fast mm-hmm. it can go from five to ten yards difference pretty quick yeah Gosh. that's that's why i like the three pin slider to okay. be honest is because you get the accuracy at those longer ranges. Like when you need to do 62, like the difference between 60 and 62 is is a lot more than 30 versus 32. Just because of the trajectory of your arrow. Like your arrow is dropping more inches at 60 to 62 than 30 to 32. So that's why I do 30, 40, 50, because I can shoot low for 20. And honestly, I don't even have to shoot that low. Like I, like maybe an inch, like I put my 30 pin, like, an inch and a half, two inches low and it hits perfect wow. at 20. So like I, I used to do 20, 30, 40, but then I, I, so many of my shots and my opportunities were like 55, yeah. 50, you know, in that 50 yard range, so you're sliding that thing. So oh, yeah. instead of doing that, I bumped them up to 30, 40, 50. And that's been a lot more comfortable for me. Cause usually at those longer ranges, you have like a little bit more time. Like if it is a 60 yard shot, yeah. like a little bit of a movement of your wrist, like dialing that sight isn't going to be that big of a deal. I mean, of course, now that I say that it's going to bust me this season <laughs> or something, yeah. but yeah, that's why I like shooting 30, 40, 50 on, on a three pin slider. Cause you don't get like the, the sight clutter from totally. like a five pin, but also you just have more versatility than a single pin. And I know guys shoot single pin and they love it and they'll, They'll have their sight set at 40 and then shoot for 20 off of their 40. Oh, and yeah. That like makes they'll sense. practice like that. But I'm like, dude, I can't be thinking about that in the moment. Yeah. Like I can barely think, okay, 30, 40, you know, <laughs> like, or like you do like orange, orange, orange. Yeah. Like I can barely do that. And yeah. I need few as options possible. Yeah. Like, so yeah, that's why I like the three pin sliders. Like it's kind of like the best of both worlds for me. That's anyway. cool. Oh man, that's such a cool story and how amazing. Like opener minutes into the i mean that's just minutes dude like uh i think sunrise that day was like 6 44 a.m cool or something yeah like shooting light was like 6 11 i think my watch said wow so yeah it was like 30 minutes in it was over man well dude congrats thanks for sharing that story i think it's it's really cool to tie in all those learnings and uh that's what it's about because it's like just have these everything will go to plan and then just one thing will change yeah and you you get enough of those that reward that comes later is so much bigger because you of all those like learnings and struggle and man that's cool yeah so i'm hoping that things are just 
smooth sailing from here on out. Yeah. I'll never have a problem again. I'll never <laughs> make another mistake. But like, I think it is worth noting too that you can do everything right and you just have bad luck too. Yeah. Or you can do everything wrong and have good luck. <laughs> so like, it can go any way and that's bow hunting, you know? So, that's so true. And this one happened to work out, but you know, things happen and that's just, that's part of the adventure for me. That's part of the appeal. That's why, that's why I love bow hunting, dude. Cause, uh, you know, just the, just the struggle, yeah. just the struggle. It, it makes it so much more valuable. And that's why I didn't really appreciate my very first hunt very much. And that's why I appreciate this little two point more than I appreciated anything. You yeah. know, like I, I, I got that, that skull home and I, I treated it with the velvet lock and it takes like a day or two to set up. And dude, I must've checked on that thing 10 times every day. <laughs> Just look going out in the garage and like touching it a little bit, making oh, sure it's man. setting up and dude. Yeah. So like that thing means so much to me, my first archery buck and yeah, that, it, oh man, it's such a rush. And first archery kill. First archery kill, eh? and forever. Yeah, yeah, like that. Hopefully, hopefully, first the many. But yeah, that is, oh, that is just something. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good tactical things too in this episode. I mean, there, there's some really good things because genuinely, I am curious. You know, there's still stuff I'm trying to learn, and you just enlightened me on a lot of things, and uh, especially just kind of going through all the mistakes that we can make it's yeah this is this is a good episode to live on the way to uh, listen to on the yeah, way to the hopefully hunt. you're you're stoked now and you're gonna go you know level your bubble and use the right pin yes <laughs> orange 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 <laughs> yeah dude like my, that shot sequence i i the only thing i remember actually thinking like everything was automatic except for level your bubble. Wow. Like, and the 30, 40, that's like, I was like, yeah. okay, 30, 40. But I thought about that for like a second. But the only thing I remember actually thinking was level your bubble. Um, just shooting up in the mountains, you know, like that's really important. That third axis can throw your shot off big time. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it, that's another thing. It's just like the practice really paid off. Like having that whole thing, having my anchor, my sequence, my shot sequence, just all being automatic. So I didn't have to think about it. I think that was a big thing, but yeah. Level your bubble. That's a, that's a good one. I'd say in the last season or two, that one is the thing that I've, it's like that final, I don't know. Cause it's like all systems go. Yeah. yeah. All systems go. Like <laughs> I did not even look at the bubble for the longest time. Oh really? I mean, I, and I was shooting really well. And, and when you're shooting well, yeah, because like at short ranges on flat ground, it doesn't really matter that right. much. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? But um, as I get kind of in funny angles and certain things, I'm like bubble, 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 and and you know. But even like the first deer or two that I shot, I don't think I was looking at the bubble. Well, you are now. I've been shooting with you now. <laughs> yeah. You're like you're a super good archer. For all of you listening, he's he's just a humble guy. He's uh, a, he's a freaking good shot. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, well, there's many more sessions in the trench to come. Yes. And, sir. uh, yeah, we, we lucked out on that one. It's so funny how we stumbled upon that. It was just like, perfect. I hope it go. doesn't get developed. I know it's in that spot where uh, there might be a house on it here. Yeah. Soon. Oh, we'll just cross our fingers and hopefully you have a good shooting spot where you go. Uh, let us know what state it's in. 
Um, we'll just yeah. keep it at that yeah. level. We'll just keep it at state <laughs> level. You can tell us the direction you're shooting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, and you got to have a nickname. It was so funny because like we both look at each other and it's like, what do we call this place? It's like the trench. Yeah. Like it was it in just u- like, it like just fits so well. I'm like, this is the trench. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So good. Well, thanks for listening to another episode. This is uh, so good to have Skylar here. Make sure to drop into his podcast, Hunt the West. And yeah, he's got some good episodes that you can dial back to. Kind of, I just, one thing I love about podcasts too is just go finding a topic that you like. Yeah. You know, it's kind of evergreen stuff. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of episodes where you're like, I've, I've gone back to listen to other people's podcasts, just episodes. I'm like, I remember that episode. That was awesome. I'm going to go listen to that. One of them that I remember listening back to is Roy Roth with, uh, on the, on the rich outdoors podcast. Oh, if you've watched the, the rich outdoors. So he had Roy Roth on, you know, obviously before he passed away, but I remember listening to that before he died and just being like, dude, this guy is legit. He, he's actually the reason I bought a Badlands pack. Oh, sorry. We're, you, you got to cut this podcast off. You're I'll just fine. talk about, look, I got forever. my Badlands pack right yeah, here. Yeah, dude, the 2200. Dude, I love that. Yeah, is so, that what you have? Well, that's what I had before I got an XO Mountain Gear, and I love that thing. But, um, yeah, like my first bag that I got was a Badlands 2200 on recommendation from Roy Roth on the Rich Outdoors podcast. What an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, may he rest in peace, dude. Yeah, that uh, guy was a beast. Um, yeah, and I remember listening back to that. And then Cody, Cody Rich, he played the episode again after he died. Like he uh, re-ran the episode. And I was like, no way Roy died. That's crazy. Oh, man. Like, he was, he was literally my, that was my favorite episode of that podcast. Oh. Just listening to him talk. And how cool, though. And it, like, I have a mom who's passed away, and she had about a month left to live. And we all went down and, you know, say goodbye. And, and I just put a microphone in front of her, and I was like, can you just talk? You know, and we only talked for like an hour. You think about an hour is not very long. I mean, mm-hmm. this has been going an hour, and yeah, you know, it feels at, like a second. Yeah, it's know. like oh, whatever. But uh, I cherish her voice so much, and how cool that we have this tool of, of podcasting that we kind of uh, immortalize. You know, just these stories and tones, and but uh, oh, I'll never, I'll never forget that. That's cool though. Yeah, Badlands, man, Badlands for the win. That's my second Badlands twenty two hundred. The first one they warranted. Uh, they are like a no questions asked. Yeah, I've used their warranty. I had a busted buckle. I caught it on a tree branch when I was elk hunting. Yeah. And the buckle kind of busted. And I sent them a picture and they sent me a new one in the mail. Like I didn't even have to pay shipping or anything. They just so replaced great. it. It was, yeah, it, that pack is awesome. Mine got completely chewed up. Uh, my, my first 2200 and I shipped it over to them. Now, Badlands is here in Utah. So we're seriously so blessed. Uh, to be close to them. But yeah, I had a new pack back in like a, a week and they had upgraded since then. Yeah. And I had so the like old all one. the pull tabs are like burly. Yeah. Yeah. I have the older version. I know they have the, the newer one and like they made some minor tweaks to it, but it's a good bag. But yeah, like I switched over to the, the Exo mountain gear. Oh, okay. I got the 4,800. I needed something a little bit bigger for backpacking. Yeah. And I think it, it holds weight better than the 2200 just because that meat shelf is between the bag and the frame. Uh, so you have that weight closer to your back. It holds weight a little bit better than yeah, the 2200. This this thing, I mean, I feel it in my hips for four days after. Yeah. It's it's pretty. And I've done probably 80 to 100 pounds. 
yeah. deer. I, I mean, I've done that multiple times. Like yep. multiple deer have been packed out with that 2200, and it, it did pretty good. But honestly, like as much as I love the Badlands, dude, it doesn't hold a candle to the Exo Mountain Gear Whoa. pack, dude. Like I've put, I mean, I put that whole deer, my just this last year, the whole thing on my back. One tripped it out of there by myself, and and you're not feeling soreness no, and pain. No, and it was yeah, it was actually. I mean, it's as it's as pleasant as having that much weight on your back can be. Jeez. So, and I I train regularly with it too. I'll throw a bag of salt on my back and hike up the mountain and and all right exo mountain gear i gotta take a look um gosh yeah i i love i love exploring gear so i thought i loved the 2200 so if you're saying it's even better oh yeah dude you'll never yeah no it's it's a lot better <laughs> that's awesome. i'll let you i'll let you borrow it if dude. you want you can take it on a training hike or something that's so cool yeah i i mean we're neighbors dude yeah like, apparently just, like, just come on over. walk it over with some muffins yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, dude, this has been great. Thanks for coming over. Um, we'll see you in the trench. All right, man. <laughs> see you in the trench. Hey, if you're not a subscriber, make sure to hit subscribe because I tell you what, those questions you have about bow hunting, someone's asked them before, and it's probably me, and I probably made like the mistake 10 times. So that's what we cover on this podcast. If you're new to it, just hit subscribe. we got some good stuff coming for you. Um, and, uh, go, go look at some of the old episodes. There's some, there's some really good ones. We've had some good guests on and Skylar included. So make sure to follow Skylar Instagram, Skylar.Harrison and, uh, check out his podcast, Hunt the West and yeah, just go out there and hopefully you're already out there. You're like sitting in a tree stand right now. Listen to this. All right. Have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode.